Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. It is so important that we spend this time at the beginning of the new term, at the beginning of the new academic year, just reminding ourselves of the vision that God gave this church right at the very beginning. Now, it might be that you're new here or maybe you're visiting. Um, Maybe uh, you've been around since the early days. Anyone here from the junglers days this morning? I'm looking around. Woohoo, yes. Um, Did you say it was awesome? Awful, yes, it was pretty awful. The floors were very sticky and the decor was fairly questionable, it has to be said. It was a long time ago, seven and a half years ago. And you know, it's so important that we take this time as a church just to refresh our minds and to refresh our hearts about the very reason for this church's existence. And you know, many of you will know when we planted this church seven and a half years ago, God did give us this clear vision, this vision to be light for the city, light for the city. But God didn't just give us this clear vision Uh, We also sensed God giving us this clear blueprint for how this vision would become a reality. Because it's all well and good having sort of a lofty vision statement like light for the city, but you need the words to articulate how this vision will be worked out, how it will happen, how to make vision reality. And so we we sensed God give her these, these two words, these two verbs, these two instructions that for us to be a church that would be light for the city, we would need to gather and scatter. We would need to gather and scatter. And very conveniently, we happen to find a building on Gas Street. And so we have it right there, written into our name, into our DNA, G-A-S, gather and scatter. Pretty cool, hey? We're a church that gathers and scatters. And so the easiest way to demonstrate this, and I did this many years ago in those junglers days, the easiest way to demonstrate this is through the glorious game of rugby. Oh yes, anyone play or enjoy watching rugby? A few people, oh, not many people. Okay, that's that's not a problem. It's okay, because we're gonna recreate a bit of, rugby here, Um, most specifically the rugby scrum. And so I'm going to need, I'm warning you now, I'm going to need 16 volunteers. I'm looking at the youth here. Guys, I'm counting on you. I need eight guys and eight girls. We might need to, no, I think, can we cover it amongst the youth? I think we can. Okay, young people, can you come up on this stage behind me? Oh, they're they're all now chickening out. Say, come on, youth, come on, youth. Come on up, come on up, come on up. Well done. I need, I need eight, eight guys on this side. So this is like the guy's side. This is the girl's side. Well done. I need eight guys and eight girls. So guy's side, girl's side. And you, you are the scrum. Where's the rugby ball? I need the rugby ball. James, you couldn't just grab it. It's under the chair. Okay, you're gonna form a scrum. So I need three of you in one line at the front. We need some more girls. We need some more girls. Come on, come on, come on. We need eight each. So three of you here in this line here, three here. 
and then two here. Oh, who's in the front row? You go there. Two here, and then we need a, we need you need some teammates, don't you? We need some teammates. Come on. Oh, there. That's it, mums. You get bossy. Get your children up here. What about youth leaders? Youth leaders. Youth leaders. Come on, youth leaders. Up you come. Okay, again, boys. Three, three at the front. Three here. Line up. Line up. Three. That's it. Perfect. You face each other, face each other. Pardon? Nick. Yes, Nick. Come on, Nick. We need Nick. Right, two here, two here. Perfect. Then then Nick there. We just need a, we need a scrum half. We need a scrum half on this side. One more guy. James, James, you can be the scrum half. There you go. He's not really your archetypal scrum half. Normally the scrum half is sort of little and nippy. So well, anyway. Have we got everybody on this side? We need a scrum half for this side. We need a girl to be... Come on, well done, well done. Up you jump. Okay, now you need to put your arms across each other's shoulders. The scrum half, you don't have to do that. That's it, that's it. Middle row. Gosh, this is actually harder work than I thought. That's it, that, that'll do. Do you know what that'll do? You're not actually going to play rugby, it's fine. Okay, you're going to step a bit closer together. Bit closer, bit closer. Stop. You're gonna like crouch down like this. Brilliant. And now you're gonna stay there. Stay there. Here's the ball. You're not actually gonna do anything with this ball, but I'm just gonna put this in the middle. Okay. You gotta do, you gotta do two things right now. Stay where you are and shut up. Is that okay? Great. It's my parenting. There. As you can see, this is the perfect demonstration of what a scrum should look like, kind of. Here's the thing about the scrum in a rugby game. The scrum is often where a game of rugby is won and lost. It's in the scrum that determines the play of the ball. Whichever side gets the ball, they get play of the ball. So many of the tries that are scored in a game of rugby are won through the outcome of the scrum. Often, the game is contended for in the scrum. Here's the thing about the scrum. The players spend way more time scattered across the rugby pitch than they do in the scrum. They spend far less time in the scrum than they do scattered across the rugby pitch. And yet, so often, the outcome of the game is contended for in the scrum. And so they scrum together and then they go. They gather together and then they scatter. Well done, you can sit down. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you very much. And so within a game of rugby, we see this rhythm occurring within the match. They gather together and then they scatter. It's this rhythm within a game of rugby of gathering, scrumming and going, gathering and scattering that makes the game of rugby possible. And for us as a church, it is the rhythm of gathering together like this 
encountering the presence of God and then scattering across the city that makes the vision light for the city possible. And over the last few weeks, Tim and I, we've been praying and pondering and inquiring of the Lord as we often do at the beginning of a new academic year, asking God, what is he saying? What is he wanting to speak over us as a church as we look to this year ahead? Uh, and we've had this strong sense that what God has been leading us towards is a sharpening, a sharpening of what it means for us as a church to effectively and authentically gather and scatter. And last week, Tim spoke about gathering together. And if you didn't hear that talk from last week, can I implore you to go and listen to it this week? Because it's so important that these two pieces of this vision series hang together. Because a key part of what happens when we gather together is we worship like we've just done. We worship. We encounter the presence of God together in our worship. And as Tim said last week, worship is always our starting point. It will always be our starting point. That's why it's so important that we, as a church, keep creating spaces where people can come and gather and encounter the presence of God through our worship. That's why we're starting altar on Wednesday nights. And you know, as a church, let's never, ever, ever take for granted how precious it is to gather and to encounter the presence of God together. At the 9.30 gathering, there was a lady sat behind me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, I've been coming to this church for a little while now. And she said, I just cry through every single worship time in a good way. We have to say that, in a good way because she's encountering the presence of God. Let's never take for granted how precious and potent it is for us to gather and encounter the presence of God together. But to gather is only half the story because when we encounter God's presence together like this in church, it should drive us to bring God's kingdom to the city. When we encounter the presence of God like this together as we gather in church, it should compel us to bring the kingdom of God to the city. You know, Rick Warren, who is a, a church pastor and, and an author in the, in the States, he, he said this, we don't measure church success by our seating capacity. We measure it by our sending capacity or by our scattering capacity. And you know, what I've discovered is that the extent to which, as a church, we are effectively scattering throughout the week, each of us individually with the, the power of God, the power of God's kingdom in our hands and on our lips, the extent to which we are effectively scattering, there is a direct correlation between that and the potency of our gathering. The more potent our gathering, the more we encounter the presence of God, the more we will be compelled to scatter, to go, to bring God's kingdom in our midweek, whatever it might look like. That's why we gather and scatter. And you know, in some ways it'd be very easy just to focus on one of those things to say, do you know what, we are a church 
that does gathering really well. You know, pat ourselves on the back. You know, we do presence in church really well. Let's, Let's just leave it to other churches to do kingdom in the city. But if we are truly going to do justice to this vision that God has given us to be light for the city, this mandate to be light for the city, it has to be both. It has to be both. It's the gather that will lead us to the scatter. It's our worship that will lead us to the lost. And in a moment, I'm gonna hand over to James. He's gonna share uh, some thoughts about what it might look like for each of us as individuals to bring kingdom to the city in our own unique way. But before he does that, I wanna end with this story. And it was a story that was sent in by a woman who comes to this church just, just last week. She wrote this, my friend and myself popped into a supermarket to get some groceries. When we got to the till to pray, a gentleman in his early 60s was in front and appeared very flustered and anxious and proceeded to ask if we would help him put his trolley of food on the conveyor belt. We helped him and my friend even helped him pack his bags. When he went to pay for his shopping, he became more and more flustered and he couldn't remember his pin number and it declined a few times. I had an overpowering sense that I should pay for his shopping for him. I offered and paid for his shopping and mine. And the cashier said when he left, that was the nicest thing I've ever seen. Upon leaving the shop, he was determined to pay me back and went to the cash machine, which again wasn't working. And after some convincing, he accepted I had paid for his shopping and I wasn't looking for anything in return. He then asked, why would you do such a thing for someone like me? What are you about? And I just explained that I was a Christian and that we're all the same in God's eyes. He then broke down and proceeded to tell us that he had been struggling with mental health and had in fact attempted to take his own life last week. He explained that he'd been drinking more and just didn't know what else to do because he felt so worthless and so useless to the world. I asked him if he believed in God and he explained that he'd been praying to God to help for him, help him for weeks, but he'd not shown up and so now he didn't know what to think. This made me smile. And I explained that God was definitely listening because I believed at this point, this was God using me to show him hope. God shows up in all sorts of ways. All of a sudden, this guy stared into space and said, I think you might be right. We talked for a while and me and my friend offered to pray for him right there in the middle of the retail park. I didn't even notice anyone else around us. We talked about church and I told him about Gas Street. For me, this was God. I know myself and I never would have had the courage to do that, what I did on that day. I wanna read the words again of Romans 10. This time, this is the, the message paraphrasing of those words. It says this, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone gonna tell them unless someone is sent to do it? 
gastric church, God is sending us. We gather and we scatter. You know, I was just remembering yesterday, I was in the city center with my daughter. We were doing a bit of shopping together and there was a guy right in the middle, uh, as is often the case, preaching the gospel right there on his own into a microphone, preaching the gospel. And my daughter, as we walked past him, she said, Mom, no one's listening to him. Why is no one listening to him? And you know, there are different ways that we can tell the story. And for some, it might be that God is calling you to stand in the city center and preach the gospel. But you know, most people hear about Jesus through their friends. That's what the statistics say. Most people hear about Jesus through people that they know already. Gastry Church, God is calling us to tell people about him. We're a church that gathers and scatters. James. Good morning, everyone. Hello, if you're joining us online. If we haven't met, my name is James. I'm part of the team here. I've been here for about six years. And my job is to look after the operations across our three locations, soon to be four. Gas Street Longbridge is starting in February. So my job involves solving a lot of problems, okay? I organize a lot of things, I send a lot of emails, but, but mainly what I do is I solve problems. I really enjoy solving problems, which is a good job because we have a lot of problems here. Um, so, and we're gonna be looking today at a passage of scripture where Jesus and his disciples were faced with a big problem. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, switch on to Matthew 14, 15 to 21. We're gonna be looking at the feeding of the 5,000 and we're joining as Jesus has been followed around by a large crowd. So it's Matthew 14, 15 to 21. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we only have here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And in John's gospel, we read that there was actually like a young boy in the crowd who offered up these five loaves and two fish to Jesus. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. The whole crowd ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, this is a story that you will have most likely heard many times, okay? It's portrayed in all four Gospels. It's a Sunday school classic. But like with any good Bible story, when you look like deeper beneath the passage, like under the bonnet of the car, it reveals way more about Jesus, who he is, and how he works than you realize on the surface. When Jesus hears this kind of plea from the disciples, you know, we've got 5,000 hungry people here and no food. Jesus isn't bothered, right? He simply suggests, you give them something to eat. It's not the most reassuring response, is it? But Jesus knows exactly what he's gonna do. 
He knows he's going to go on to use his disciples to perform this miracle in a pretty unmiraculous way. He took what was in the boy's hand. He took the five loaves and the two fish, which again, in the grand scheme of things, is this like insignificant solution to 5,000 hungry people. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Jesus didn't just like click his fingers, right? And suddenly everyone had food, although that would have been pretty cool, okay? But, but instead, Jesus, instead of doing it himself, he chose to use the people. Jesus chose to use what was in the boy's hand. And then he chose to use his disciples to distribute it one by one to each individual in the crowd. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just click his fingers? Well, I felt God say he, he wanted to give every single person there a personal interaction with a miracle. He didn't want to give them a quick solution because instead he wanted to give them something even more valuable. He wanted to give them a story to tell. He wanted to give them like this encounter with the living Jesus that they would never forget. In this story, he chose to use the people to bring about the kingdom. And today, he chooses to use me and you. I first walked into Gastry about six years ago, okay? And at the time, I was feeling pretty broken. I was feeling pretty lost. I had a whole range of health issues going on, and I didn't really have a plan for my life, okay? And I, I walked in, and I sat around there, okay? And for an hour and a half of the gathering, I just wept, okay? I absolutely broke. It was the 6 p.m., so it was more like two and a half hours by the time it had finished. But it, it didn't matter which part of the gathering it was, right? Church news, that was an emotional alpha notice, right? Moment to give and chat was just awkward, turning to the person next to you, just crying. What I didn't realize at the time, but now I do, is I encountered Jesus that day. I encountered his presence. As I sat there, I knew I would call this place home. I had no idea why. I had no idea how it would look. But it was this deep sense that I knew I wanted to be part of this. I knew that I wanted to give Jesus what was in my hand. Just like the 5,000 people in that crowd, I had no idea what God was gonna do. But six years on, I'm still here. And I can honestly say that choosing Jesus, giving him what was in my hand, has been single-handedly the most remarkable, healing, life-giving journey I have and will ever be a part of. As the crowd gathered, they encountered the presence of Jesus, and then they scattered with a story to tell. And that's the vision, right? As Tim and Rachel spoke on, we, we gather together like this, we encounter his presence in the church, and then we scatter to see kingdom in the city. The vision is that we would be a church so full of the presence of Jesus that we would be compelled to share him, to go out into school, into work, into university, to come alongside those who have less than us, to make a difference in this city. So it sounds really straightforward, doesn't it, right? We, we gather together, we scatter, we see kingdom in the city, job done, easy. But it doesn't quite happen like that, okay? Things get in the way. We hold ourselves back. We count ourselves out. And for me in my story, something could have held me back. Something could have stopped me from giving Jesus what was in my hand. I could have thought that what I had to bring 
wasn't good enough, wasn't significant enough. You know, when I came to Gastry and eventually started an internship here, I didn't really feel like I had much to bring. I had a few A-levels, I had a bit of time, not a load of experience. Like I said, life was really, really up in the air. And being honest, I was comparing myself to my friends who were going after their university degrees, starting their new careers, following their dreams. And a bit like that boy with his lunch, I didn't feel like I had much to offer. But as I gave Jesus the little I had in my hand, as I allowed God to fill me, to bring life into the things that felt wasted, he used me in unexpected ways. I breathed in his strength, his power in my weakness. God took my five loaves and two fish and he blew my mind. I felt God speaking a lot this year around significant insignificance. Okay, it's gonna come up on the screen. It's a bit of a mouthful, significant insignificance. Turn to the person next to you and say significant insignificance. See, it's hard, isn't it? It's a bit of a tongue twister. Significant insignificance. It's this sense, okay, that, that what might seem insignificant to us, God can use, there's, some, there's still some of you trying it, it's hard. This sense, right, that what feels insignificant to us, God can use to do something significant. That it's out of a posture of our humility and weakness that his power comes. Jesus takes what feels insignificant in our hand, just like that little boy's food, and uses it to do something remarkable in his and as I've been praying, the, the sense that I have is that there are so many people, part of our church, across our locations, watching online, who have something to bring for kingdom in this city. It might be an idea, okay? It might be a person that's on your heart. Something small, like we've heard about, this desire to pay for someone shopping. Perhaps there's someone specific in your life that comes to mind to pray for, to listen to. Whatever it is, it's unique to you. There's something unique in your hand that Jesus wants to do something remarkable with. But you're counting yourself out. You're holding back. There are some of you who think that you, what you have to bring to this city isn't good enough. There's some of you that think you're not in the right position of influence or power to offer what's in your hand. There's some of you guys that think you're too young. Rubbish, God can use you. There's some of you that think what you have in your hand, you know you've got it, right? You know it's going to bring kingdom to the city, but for whatever reason, you want to keep hold of it. Okay, perhaps you've got a bit comfortable. Perhaps you don't want to let go. But the boy offering up what was in his hand enabled thousands of people to be fed, thousands to encounter Jesus. And the best bit, the boy got his lunch back. The boy got his lunch back. He, gave, he got way more than he gave to Jesus. I think there's some of you, right, and you, you see the crowd and then you look at what's in your hand and you go, it's not going to make a difference. Why should I even bother? What's the point? There's some of you that feel like your contribution is insignificant. And if you're feeling like any of those things, the message today is Jesus wants to use what's in your hand. Don't hold back. Don't discount yourself. Everyone has something 
to bring. Everyone has a part to play. This city needs what's in your hand. So the question we're asking today is quite simple. What's in your hand? Do you think it's good? And crucially, are you willing to give it to Jesus to do whatever he wants to do with it? Do you have faith for him to do something significant with your supposedly insignificant offering? Because in our own strength, it's futile. But when we give it to Jesus, he does something remarkable. Okay, he he does this. It's pretty cool. It's like Tebo, okay, having a puzzle piece, right? And it fits into this massive jigsaw. But what Jesus does is he takes Tebo's puzzle piece that will bring kingdom to the city and he combines it. Okay, he takes puzzle piece over here and he combines it with a puzzle piece from over here. And these two ideas fit together, right? And the jigsaw starts to form. Then what he does is he gets a puzzle piece from someone from Gas Street St. Luke's, right? They've given an offering or have some resources that's going to bless this idea. And that is added to the jigsaw. He then takes a puzzle piece from someone from Gas Street South to outwork it. And that puzzle piece is added in. And then what he does is someone watching online or visiting us and praying for us from other churches, right? He adds that puzzle piece in and the jigsaw starts to form and we start to see kingdom in the city. And Tebo doesn't know it yet. But next year, there is someone joining this church that has this added piece of the puzzle, this final piece that's just going to explode this idea. But it couldn't happen if Tebo didn't give his puzzle piece, if he didn't offer what's in his hand. It can't happen if you don't give your puzzle piece. And we can't see the jigsaw, right? We can't see the perspective that God has. So we just have to let go of what's in our hand and trust him. Because all these puzzle pieces put together create something significant. All these puzzle pieces together create kingdom in the city. And the church that I want to be part of is a church where every single person brings their puzzle piece, brings what in their hands, as insignificant as it might seem, just like that little boy's food, and gives them to Jesus to do something with. So what's your puzzle piece? What is in your hand to bring kingdom in the city? Some of you have been counting yourself out, but it's time. It's time to give Jesus what's in your hand so he can feed the people. I think there's also a few of you here today, a bit like me six years ago. Perhaps you're new to church, you're exploring faith, and perhaps you're here today and and you feel like the crowd. Okay, you feel a bit lost and you're just hungry. Okay, and you need some food. And I'm not talking about McDonald's, right? I'm talking about like a deeper hunger, right? You're here and you're not even sure why, but you're waiting for something. You're not even sure what you're waiting for, but there's this lack of identity, of meaning, of freedom. And today you need to hear that Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the hope. And if that is you, if that is you, and you just feel like you're in the crowd, you are so welcome to just sit and eat at Jesus' feet today, awaiting for him to do something. Because as they gathered, the crowd encountered the presence of Jesus And then they scattered. They scattered with a story to tell. Whoever you are, you have a puzzle piece for the jigsaw. God is propelling us as a church to scatter. And you have a part to play. 
enough excuses. Yes, we need to create more spaces for God to move, to encounter his transforming, loving power that changes people's lives just like it did mine. But then we need to go. We need to believe that this loving, grace-filled, transforming power of Christ isn't just for us, but it's to be scattered, to be shared, to carry that transforming power into school, university, work, into family and friendships, to carry the kingdom into the city through small steps of obedience, through giving to Jesus what's in our hand, presence in the church, kingdom in the city. The vision's never changed, right? I've been here for six years and it's still the same. Lives transformed through individual encounters with Jesus as we gather and we scatter. As the worship team begins to come up, the the only thing, the only thing that's come parallel to my own yes to Jesus, to my own journey with him, is him using me to play my part in transforming others' lives too. The only thing that has become parallel is to see my own gather lead to scatter. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of coming alongside some students in our church who've journeyed university with us here and seen Jesus work in their lives across these years. I've offered the little I have in my hand. Okay, maybe a bit of life experience, that's more than them, or a bit of time. And some of these guys were so far away from faith, right? Some of them were addicted to drugs. And these guys, Jesus has done something remarkable with. Some of them are now my closest Christian mates, championing me, encouraging me in my own faith. I stepped out into faith, nowhere near as much as I should have. But I've seen Jesus use that. I've seen him transform people. I've seen him offer healing and breakthrough. I've seen Jesus take things in people's lives that are awful, that feel beyond hope, and I've seen him turn them around. And perhaps best of all, I've seen people come to faith that God has then used to lead others to faith too, because it's too good to not give away. I've seen Jesus do amazing things in and through me and in and through the people around me. And it's blessed me beyond measure to be part of it. But the best bit is just like that boy in the story, I have no idea what God is gonna continue to do as I continue to give him the little that I have in my hand. Everyone has a part to play. This church is bursting with kingdom potential. So what is in your hand to see kingdom in the city? What's your puzzle piece? Because this city needs it. It needs what's in your hand. This city needs people to be raised up to make a difference. This city needs politicians filled with the presence of God, influencing strategy and policy. This city needs musicians and creatives to capture the sound of Jesus and release it. This city needs business leaders and administrators to lead organisations that bring about change. If that's you, Gastro Business Breakfast, two weeks time, we want to equip you to scatter in the workplace. This city needs every sector of society filled with spirit-led Christians who are bringing the light of Jesus. This city needs the extroverts and the introverts to come alongside people to pray for them, 
to make a difference in their lives. If that's you, join the Jesus on the street, Streets Gastry Group. It starts next Monday. We're gonna be taking this presence of Jesus out. We're gonna be praying for miracles and for healing. This city needs the lonely brought in the family. This city needs people who spot those on the fringe. It needs people with a burning desire to see injustice resolved. This city needs people to get out of the comfortable lives they've been living in and take risks. This city needs people to plant churches, to consider going to Gas Street Longbridge, right? It's, you're gonna see God do so much more if you give him what's in your hand and join that community. This city needs people who are so full of the presence of Jesus that they cannot do anything but carry it into their everyday life. This city needs you. It needs you to raise your children, to complete that qualification, to start that WhatsApp group for your street, to intercede for your family or your workplace, to share your faith, to go into school and university brimming with the love of Jesus, to share your faith. To unashamedly tell stories of what God is doing. This city needs you to love well. It needs you to be set apart in a culture that sucks you in. This city needs you to smile at the people on the city streets. It needs you to commit to it. It needs you to step out in faith, to give radically and generously. This city needs people anointed by God, empowered by His presence to see His kingdom come in Birmingham. This city needs what's in your hand. So give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus and I promise He will do immeasurably more than all you can ask for or imagine. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Because we need God with this, right? It's, it's futile in our own strength, but with His presence, we can see Him do remarkable things. So if it's helpful, close your eyes and just reach out your hands like you're offering, uh, accepting a gift. In a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to respond, to answer this question, what's in your hand? But first, I'm gonna pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us with confidence. Send us out. Reveal to us the people in our lives you wanna come alongside, the ideas you want us to go after. God, we lift to you the things that feel insignificant. And we pray that you would breathe over us your significance, your value, the identity that you speak over us. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.